afternoon. Welcome to the panel on RNZ National. Now, Chris Hipkins has just announced a reshuffling of Cabinet. Willow Jean Prime is joining Cabinet, meaning for the first time in New Zealand history, half the people sitting around the Cabinet table will be women. Uh, so, uh, to this Cabinet... Uh, is to consider whether to relax uh, the last COVID-19 rules. We're just waiting on that any minute now. Uh, a mandatory seven-day isolation period remains for those who test positive to the virus. COVID-19 is the infectious disease killing and hospitalising most people in Aotearoa. The present-day average is about four deaths a day, nine in intensive uh, care at the moment, 220 people in hospital right now. So we'll bring you the very latest as it's announced. should be actually very, very soon. But with us right now is Dr. Dion O'Neill, Programme Co-Lead in COVID-19 Modelling Aotearoa. Dr. O'Neill, kia ora. Kia ora. All right, just waiting on this announcement, but uh, a change to the COVID settings. Uh, what do you reckon about the stand-down period to go? Um, well, the, the advice to stay home when you're sick is just fantastic public health advice. It's sort of one of the simplest, communicate most effective things that we can do in order to just prevent spread of infectious disease. And so... Whether it's mandated or whether it is um, guidance for people and whether that guidance comes with support for people to follow that guidance, um, yeah, really, really, we'd like to see people when they're sick staying home, whether things are mandated or not. All right, so this, that's just through now. The COVID-19 settings are remaining the same for the next two months. Hipkins confirms they'll be reviewed again in two months' time. And he says, uh, to quote, it's a difficult balancing act. That's fair to say, Dion? Yeah, absolutely. And it's really hard to try and pick a, a good time to remove um, some protections like this. And there are obvious bad times to do it. Don't do things at the at a point where cases are going up or when you're at a, a high period because any relative increase then means a, a bigger absolute increase in the number of infections and hospitalizations you'd see. Yeah. But other than that, um, picking a, a point where you know you're going to make a change that will in all likelihood increase your, your um, transmissions or your growth rate by a bit the long-term effects kind of um, spread out a little bit the same once you look over very long periods of time. And so you'd really want to, can you get things in place that are going to mitigate that increase you might get? So if you've got a plan that says, hey, we're going to make sure we've got good clean air requirements in our schools and workplaces, let's make sure you've got that in place before you remove that other protection of stay home when you're sick. All oh, right, yeah, the other news that's just come through, uh, vaccination, isolation and masks remain key to public safety this winter. Let's go around the panel on this, whether they think um, this is a good thing to uh, for it to be remain, that uh, confirming they're remaining the same for the next two months. Let's start with Mark. What do you reckon? I think it's probably sensible that we're going into winter and uh, we've had, you know, we haven't had a really good season of thickness apart from COVID for quite quite a few years. Um, so I think it's it's pragmatic. I know it puts a lot of pressure on on small businesses in terms of staffing when they've got the mandatory periods of isolation. But I think uh, most people 
if they're getting COVID now, it'd be very, very mild. And I think a lot of people aren't even testing anymore, to be really honest. Um, but I think the, you know, I, I'd support the continued use of mask, mask use in certain environments, like going to doctors and things. Um, so yeah, I guess it makes it a bit of sense, especially as we're going into the into the winter season. Dion. Yeah, and absolutely. There's there's some downsides to having isolation. There is a, a burden that goes with that of people being out of the workforce. But there are also tools that we can use to try and reduce some of that burden while at the same time keeping some of those protections from isolation. And so the key one there would be adding a test to release requirement. So we know we've got these antigen tests, they're really cheap, and they're really effective at telling you late on an infection whether or not you are still infectious or not. And so you could use those in people who test negative on an antigen test towards the end of an isolation period. You can say, hey, you're good to go sooner than seven days. We don't need you to stay in isolation when we know you're not infectious. And on the other hand, people who are still infectious, who are still getting positive results on an antigen test maybe after seven days, say, hey, would you, if you're able to, would you mind staying home a little bit longer? We'd prefer you don't infect your colleagues. Okay, that's quite interesting, isn't it? A rat to test, mm. sorry, a rat test to release strategy. Julie Woods? I'm pleased that the protection um, has stayed because I think it is one of the last things that we have to fight against COVID, um, Wallace. And I mean, what is it, four, eight people died last week? This is a virus that's still killing people and the seven days isolation it's simple it's clear we've lived with it for a long time and we understand it and i think that's a really um, important aspect to it i'm just looking though you know rules forcing australians to isolate for five days if they test positive to covid19 they ended in october last year dion for everyone uk dumped its five-day iso more than a year ago um what 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 to those who say, actually, we should follow them? Well, so what we saw happen in Australia was when there was that mandatory isolation period removed, a lot of workplaces actually said, sure, you don't have to stay home, but you're not welcome to come to work. If you've tested positive, you don't have to be in your house, but you can't come here because they didn't want those (laughs) infectious people coming into their workplaces. And we've known this for a long time. There's extensive evidence where... when people are going to work when they're sick and they might think, oh, I, I, we need to keep productivity up, the net effect is a decrease in productivity. It's more people who are off sick for longer. Yeah. Hey, just on Julie's, um, before we ha- while we have you, Dr O'Neill, because we haven't talked, discussed COVID-19 on the panel for quite a while, and seeing these numbers, um, you know, the present daily average is about four deaths a day, nine in intensive care. As we speak, 220 people in hospital right now. Uh, it is a reminder that it's still really quite prevalent uh, and it's um, responsible for deaths. It's, it's a very prevalent in our society still. Yeah, absolutely. And that's not likely to change. I knew vaccination and more vaccination does help. It reduces the severity of disease. And while there's a bunch of people who have had all of their boosters, there's also a bunch of extra people who are not up to date and are eligible for some, some boosters. Um, so getting vaccinated, great advice for trying to get those numbers of of deaths and severe disease or severe infections down. Um, part of that, though, as well, if with a stand-down period following infection before you can get a booster, it's a good incentive to avoid infection. So, uh, yeah, stay safe um, 
you know, avoid poorly ventilated places, wear a mask when you're in them, that sort of thing. Very good. Dr. O'Neill, kia ora. Thank you for your time. There's the Dion O'Neill, their programme co-lead COVID-19 modelling. Aotearoa, that news uh, just to hand. Cabinet has decided to keep the few remaining COVID-19 restrictions for now. Most pandemic rules have been scrapped, but people still have to self-isolate for seven days if they test positive and masks must be worn in hospitals in some circumstances. And Prime Minister Chris Hipkins said these rules will remain in place for another two months when they will be considered again. He asked for further advice about testing so people may not need to isolate for the full period before returning to work, but researchers at COVID-19 Modelling Aotearoa this afternoon said ending the mandatory isolation period could cause up to a 25% increase in hospitalisations and deaths within uh, six months, but infection numbers settle after that. So that's the latest uh, news on that there. Um, a lot coming through regarding um, National Pet Day is April the 11th and acknowledging the the pet that is really special in your life, past or present. Uh, I'd like to acknowledge my cat Marjorie. She belonged to my <laughs> parents who have died since both, uh, have since died over the past five years. Marge remains immortal, a friend to everyone. God knows how old she is, but showing no sign of giving up yet. It is a privilege that she lets me to continue to care for her. That's Erin in Paeroa. Thank you so much uh, for that. It's 18 past four of the panel. Pressure is coming on the government to improve business competition so as to push down prices for cash-strapped New Zealanders as the cost of living it's hard. The issue was was raised with Chris Hipkins on the morning report. And our next guest says business activity is influenced by both the carrot and stick, and he doesn't think there is enough of the latter. Consumer NZ discovered supermarkets after um, over 300 dodgy supermarket specials were discovered, including 54 instances of customers being charged more than the shelf price. With us is Sam Stubbs. He's the managing director of non-profit KiwiSaver provider Simplicity. Kia ora, Sam. Kia ora, Wallace. So competition in the grocery sector is, quoting, not working well for New Zealand consumers. That's what the Commerce Commission found in March of last year. Here we are, one year on. What's changed, Sam? Yeah, look, I think you have a... For... Almost any industry competing in New Zealand, you always have a problem because it's actually a fairly small market by global standards. So in many industries, you tend to get, you know, two or three players dominating. You can think about it in supermarkets, certainly the case in building materials and banking and so on. So that makes business conditions a little bit more difficult in terms of getting true competition. And so when you're in markets like that, where you can get sort of almost like cartel-like pricing behavior or a... Um, you know, two, two or three people squeezing too much profit um, out of Kiwis and making the cost of living high. In those circumstances, you need a government which has, which has teeth, which basically can regulate some of the behaviours and do the sort of Commerce Commission inquiries that we need and to see those recommendations enacted. And that, that's where the politicians come in. They call for the inquiry. 
the inquiry then happens and it's done by experts over a long period of time very thoroughly. A set of recommendations come out the other end and then it's back in the politicians' camp to actually make those things happen. And I think one of the problems is is I think we're we're okay at getting the inquiries. I mean we we're waiting for a banking one. That's that's been yeah. too long now. But generally we've had them. The problem is that these recommendations come out the other end and then I think the general consensus would be, Wallace, is that most people would think that not much happens after that. Well, and here so, we are. That's why, that's why you're on the show, stand because here we are yeah. one year on and people are complaining yeah. about the prices. And this was really big news a year ago. But look, you're all about um, the competition. I'll bring our panellists in soon. But the Commission did stop short of suggesting splitting up the two dominant retailers and creating a third retailer. I'm looking at uh, what Anna Rawlings, the Commerce Commission chairwoman, said. She said, measures to break up the businesses would be, quoting, high complex to develop, highly complex, and would be unprecedented in our view. Sam? Mm. Well, look, I think what they what they did recommend was the opening up of the wholesale market, and we've yet to yeah. see the impact of that, but that will have some positive impacts for sure. The actual taking away, basically forcing the supermarkets to sell properties and basically generate a third supermarket chain would be pretty radical. That would be very unusual by international standards. What you have to do, I think, is you have to make sure that there's a level playing field for competition. And so focusing on the wholesale market was the right thing to do, but that will take some time. If they end up forcing the supermarkets to sell off properties and consolidate, I think that's going to give a third operator an opportunity to come into New Zealand. Someone like an, an Aldi or a Little may be interested. Those are the big German mm. German oh, discount yeah. brands. Um, that 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 is a that is a possibility. But I would I would agree with the Commerce Commission that that's a pretty a pretty radical thing to do. Um, they you know. The, 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 now that now that they haven't made that recommendation, I think it's pretty hard for the politicians to then say, "Okay, we're going to force that to happen." I mean, I think we do have to trust the process that the Commerce Commission well, looks at. Let's bring in our what the panel has to say about that. What about you, Julie and Dunedin? There, they're calling it the cost of living election. Uh, you go to your supermarket. Have you noticed the prices? Well, for a blind woman, Wallace, it's quite difficult to access the prices. So yeah. you can imagine what it's like, um, you know, getting to the checkout and it's different. It's very difficult to, to check up on oh. what um, it says on the shelf and what it is by the time you get it home and then you have an inaccessible receipt. Um, I'm, oh, I'm just wondering about the, the merit of government supermarkets. That just popped into my head. What do you reckon, Sam? Oh look, I think that would be that would that would be very uh, a very risky uh, endeavour. I'm not sure that the government would run supermarkets particularly well. It's a, a reasonably brutal commercial environment, right? So, um, okay, you know. all right. Now, Mark, by the way, um, declaration here: um, both Foodstuffs and Progressive are paying members of the New Market Business Association. But uh, marking that, uh, what what are your comments here, Mark Knopf Thomas? They are indeed. Hey, Sam. Um, I think, you know, a good a good economy is when or a good free market operates well when competition is strong. That is that is that is pretty obvious, I think, for most sectors. Um, but also I think consumers have also can also exercise their rights if they feel that they're not getting value for money in one establishment, that there are other options. So I think supermarkets provide a, a high level of convenience. Uh, we can pretty much get everything you need under one roof. But no if you are finding that, that the, the, 
that if you are finding the prices are excessive or for whatever reason, there are often, you know, we've, I know Newmarket, we've probably got seven other food retailers available, including Fresh Fish Market and Green Grocers, et cetera. So you have also got the right to exercise that. But I, I do get there's a, two, having two big players in the market has caused a bit of a situation. All right. So um, I'm just looking at here, um, uh, do, the commission estimated that countdown on foodstuffs combined profit would fall by $430 million a year if they earned a 5.5% return on their capital instead of the 12% uh, or actually nearly 13% annual return it said they enjoyed between 2015 and 2019. Sam Stubbs, straight up, are we being fleeced? Look, I think a 13% return is is higher than you would expect for that sort of business. Would it, would you constitute that a fleecing in terms of profitability versus other industries? Actually, I don't think I would. I would say that those are high profits, but I wouldn't call that a fleecing. Um, so, and, and look, here's here's the problem with supermarkets. Uh, you know, it's really, really expensive. You've got to go and buy all those properties. You've got to staff them. You've got to set up very, very complex just, um, you know, channels of distribution. You, you have to stock thousands of lines. It's a very difficult business to enter. So, what should the government do in this instance? I think they, I think the Commerce Commission have been right in saying you've got to make those distribution channels that that that, that countdown count of foodstuffs control available to everybody. That helps remove one of those big roadblocks to setting up a chain. Then you have to wait for somebody who wants to come in here and commit a lot of money because they think the profitability is so high that they can make money. One of the interesting observations is those German chains I mentioned before, Aldi and Little, who are both in Australia, have not jumped across the Tasman, but Costco just has. So you're starting starting to see the preconditions for competition. So I think in five years' time, it's going to be a much more competitive market than it is now. There's mm-hmm. an awful lot of money and an awful lot of people looking at this right now. But we're not going to get miracles occurring overnight but I'm very pleased that we've done this properly. Proper Commerce Commission inquiry, proper set of recommendations, and, they, and, and, and the politicians need to have the teeth now to make sure that those recommendations are actually enacted. Very nice to have you on the program, uh, Sam Stubbs Curum. That's Sam, the Managing Director of Nonprofit KiwiSaver Provider uh, Simplicity. It's 26 past four year on the panel. Just looking at the cabinet reshuffle announced by Chris Hipkins today. So, Northland MP Willow Jean Prime is moving into cabinet, filling the gap left by outgoing MP Stuart Nash, meaning for the first time half the number of people sitting around New Zealand's cabinet table are women. Uh, Prime is the Conservation and Youth Minister. Uh, Rachel Brooking has moved into the position outside of Cabinet, left vacant by uh, Willow Jean Prime as the new Oceans and Fisheries Minister and also Associate Roles in Environment and Immigration. And Penny Hinare has uh, taken on the forestry portfolio. And Barbara Edmonds will take economic development. The panel on RNZ National. All right, I wanted to get to this. And by the way, a big response regarding uh, an acknowledgement of a special pet in your life. Uh, National Pet Day is April 11th. Keep them coming, 2101. Be it a budgie, a gerbil, a hamster, a Bichon Freeze, 2101. Is it okay to put stuff in other people's rubbish bins? What's the etiquette? Is there etiquette? I had the issue of 
finishing a very tasty, might I add, bounty bar, Taste of Paradise. And as I was walking past, I popped the wrapper in a bin. And this guy came out and said, not your bin, mate, you have no right. And then, well, I thought, well, is he right? Uh, And what about the neighbour's bin, where in the dark of night you put rubbish in the neighbour's bin? Around the panel on this. Julie Woods, what's your take on this? I think only if you ask, Wallace, really, um, because you're not sure. Uh, Yeah, I think that you need to ask the person whose bin it is. Did you ask? Well, I was walking down the road and I thought instead of putting (laughs) the Bounty Bar Taste of Paradise wrapper um, uh, into the gutter, I thought I'd put it in the bin that was out there. Was I wrong? Well, thinking about putting it in the gutter was certainly wrong. What about your pocket? (laughs) Never thought of that, actually, Julie. (laughs) Good point. Take it home. Take it Ma- home and put it in your own bin, Wallace. Ma- okay. So, um, all right. Been told off by Julie there. I should have put it in my pocket. This bounty bar wrapper, Mark. What would you have done? Uh, no, I think you know. I would much rather rubbish in the bin than anywhere else. So, I think that guy may have had too much time on his hands to be worried about that. <laughs> one one pet peeve I do have though is if you ever hire a skip bin and have a skip bin outside your property, and people feel entitled to load all their rubbish into it, that really grinds my gears. But I think general general curbside recycling or rubbish bins, I think it's okay within reason, not if you're filling it up, but just a, the old wrapper, there's no problem with that. Yeah, um, Wallace, walk it in, walk it out. What does that mean? So long as you're putting the right thing in the right bin, I don't see the problem. People are way too territorial. Another one here, if the bin is out and it's full, then it's free game. If it's been emptied, then no. I had no idea there were rules. So, Julie, someone walks past your house and you hear the bin lid go up and someone puts their bounty bar wrapper or actually any other uh, rubbish in your bin outside your house. What do you think? I'd say, Wallace, is that you again? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'd actually think that that was good that they were putting it in a bin rather than in the gutter. I agree with you guys on that. Um, I think there need to be more rubbish bins around, Wallace, actually. I think there's been a a pattern of less bins in community spaces, and it's very hard to find. This is getting quite complicated. Isn't the bounty wrapper soft plastic? <laughs> oh, well, um, yeah, thing. fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. you see, usually what I would, I would, we actually do do our separate. So I do put soft plastic. But here I am. I didn't want it in my blooming pocket. I wanted to get rid of it because I didn't want um, the family, little uh, junior, to know ah. that I'd been eating chocolate on the way home. Um, <laughs> quite frankly, I live in a busy street, and I'd rather someone put the rubbish wrappers in my bin than in my garden. You won't get growled out by me. Yeah. You're on the panel on RNZ National. Lovely to have your company. Uh, don't forget the song Whisperer. You guess the lyrics. We give you the song. Here they are. We play this just after the headlines. Valhalla, I am coming. On we sweep with threshing ore. Our only goal will be the western shore. Ah-ha-ha. Ah-ha-ha. What's the song? Text me 2101. Time for headlines.